0: science and everything else they slap down a new topic and dash off to the next it's a great big world with so much to
1: know like cryptids time travel and the history of poe if you want to be a smarty better learn something fast with shannon and jason on slapdash podcast On today's episode, we will be discussing the search for life in space. Across the table is a man who loves stargazing and searching for little green men on Mars. Jason Creekmore, how are you today? Et
0: phone home. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever watched Et? I seen Et. man. I loved Et. It, it's a little too sad though. Et was one of the first, probably f- three, four, or five movies I ever watched in a theater. Oh, really? As like a really young kid, yeah. Oh, that's uh, cool. oh, yeah. I love anytime I think of i T. I'll automatically kind of connect Reese Pieces. I was going to say, that, do you or have what, a lasting or affinity for Reese's Pieces? For Reese's Reese's pieces? Yeah,
1: that that's actually a good question. Is it Reese's Pieces or Reese's Piece? I mean, I guess it's Reese's Pieces. <laughs>
0: yeah, but doesn't sound. But, but that's not what anybody says. Pieces sounds better. Pieces, <laughs> pieces is, Reese's is, Pieces. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, I think at least in the southern <laughs> vernacular, it's yeah. always Reese's Pieces. Yeah, that's what I say. But
0: <laughs> but regardless, E. T. is cool, and I was convinced when I watched that movie. Well. They, they're definitely out there. Yeah. It's just a matter of time before they land. Spielberg found right? one. Yeah. There he is. He's he's a little man. Yeah. A little alien. Yeah. We mentioned this before, but in that movie,
1: they actually didn't tell the child actors that he was a puppet.
0: That, that was, well, one of them was, was Drew Barrymore. Right? Was. I think yeah. she was the youngest, I think.
1: Yeah. I think she's the one that they just led to believe that this was a real thing. <laughs> they, they didn't show her whenever they were setting it up, and he just stood there, and which makes it all that much more sad.
0: <laughs> yeah, no way, because I'm not sure how old she was. I mean, five maybe. Was she that? Old? i mean maybe I, well, I guess she's
1: at least that old, maybe probably. i don't know but yeah, it just kind
0: of seems like almost like a truman show type thing where they're just telling her like yeah that's real just yeah. you just talk to et there sweetie and yeah and then no big deal and then where's et oh we're finished the movie's over she's like what
1: movie <laughs> 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 i don't know yeah pretty crazy but jason we're actually going to be talking about the search for real life in space not puppets i assume puppets are probably out there too sure what do you think you think there's some puppets in outer space maybe some muppets or, or something like
0: that <laughs> space muppets
1: yoda's out there Oh apparently. yeah, yeah. But uh, apparently, people been looking for aliens for a long time—extraterrestrials, ET, or even just microscopic organisms. Any you know. anything that's alive, just something that's moving. <laughs> you know, something that's got a little. We'll qualify. To it. That's right. And really, since the beginning of time, we've been asking this question: Are we alone in the universe? And it's, it's, a, it's a big question. It's one of those big idea questions. And it's one that has persisted since the beginning of time. You know, man's looked up at the stars and wondered, what's out there? Are there others like me? Are we really alone in the universe? And Jason, until 1992, when the first exoplanet was discovered, more on exoplanets here in just a little bit, we were uncertain whether there were even other planets outside our solar system at all let alone those capable of supporting life. But lo and behold, there are. Right, here we are. Apparently, yeah, there, there are some other things floating around out there. Today we know of over 3,850 confirmed planets around other stars and thousands of other bodies that we suspect are planets. We, we, they're, they're called planet candidates. It's almost like, you know, they applied for membership. <laughs> right? <laughs> they just got kind of waiting in line. Do you have an atmosphere? Yes or no? <laughs> yeah. Do you have liquid water? That's right. Uh, but, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, you know, the odds that life exists somewhere else in the universe are probably better than the odds that we're alone. Just just given the, the crazy numbers. Just the sheer numbers that we're dealing it, yeah. with. dealing with The universe as we know it, if you stretched it out end to end, it is 93 billion light years across. And I have no idea how scientists arrive at that because I feel like when I look up at the sky, I have a very limited vision yeah. of what's
0: going on. I usually see about 78 to 80 is what I see. <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: 93 <laughs> may be a stretch. Is that your best no, estimate sure of, I have no idea. of what's going on? But 93 billion light years? I mean, whenever I turn on a flashlight, I feel like that's moving pretty fast right the speed of light it's it's a big deal (laughs) pretty quick so if i were to turn on a flashlight it would take that light beam 93 billion years to travel across the entire universe just as we know it and who knows what's beyond that who knows what's at the border of that but within the universe as we know it there are an estimated two trillion galaxies each containing millions of stars and dotted with more planets than we can imagine planets are all over the place. It's just a common phenomenon across the universe as we can see it. In fact, when we consider the question about are we alone in the universe, a lot of scientists and astrophysicists have considered just this question. And one such astrophysicist named Seth Shostak, he was of the SETI Institute, and we're gonna talk more about SETI in a second. He said this, quote, to say this is the only place where there's any intelligence is hubris of a very high order, end quote. (laughs) I always love that word, hubris, yeah, whenever yeah, it's used. Yeah. I always think Zeus, you know, yeah, and uh, you don't, Greek you don't, mythology. You don't see it very often, right? <laughs> no, but when it's used, it is a, it's, a, it's a delicacy, a right. little bit, <laughs> in vocabulary. So if there is a chance for discovering life in space, where might that life be? And how might we discover it? And that's really the purpose of this episode. We're going to dive into some of the places where we've looked for life, some of the promising spots in the universe where life might exist. We're going to dive into who exactly is looking for this life in outer space and just,
0: you know, various topics as they come up. So so Shannon, have you ever heard of the uh, the Drake equation? No, you've, I can't say I have. You've, you've no. not heard of the, of the the Drake equation? No. Are, are you going to enlighten <clears throat> us a little bit? Maybe for about 30 to 45 seconds here. <laughs> All right, go the, for it. Uh, the Drake equation measures the probability of intelligent life that could be capable of communicating within the Milky Way galaxy. So just and, just in our galaxy. Just in our galaxy. Okay. And this was first introduced by Dr. Frank Drake in 1961. I think he worked with SETI or did so in the future after that. And so basically this equation reads as this. N equals r times fp times ne times fl times fi times fc times l now quickly i'm going to go over that real (laughs) what'd you say to me (laughs) what did you you (laughs) that's all all right so we have n the number of civilizations in our galaxy uh with which communication might be possible Okay. Now we have all the other factors. So how do we arrive at that number? Okay. So first we start with R, the average rate of star formation in our galaxy. Okay. Multiplied by the fraction of those stars that have planets, multiplied by the average number of planets that can potentially support life per star that has planets, multiplied by the fraction of planets that could support life that actually develop life at some point, multiplied by the fraction of planets with life that actually go on to develop intelligent life or civilizations, multiplied by the fraction of civilizations that develop a technology that releases detectable signs of their existence into space, (laughs) multiplied finally by the length of time for which such civilizations release detectable signs into space. That's a mouthful. So, so that's a probably not a small number. So that's that's yeah, <laughs> we so guess. so here's the interesting thing about this is that when you uh, plug in all of the bare minimum numbers, okay? Yeah. So if you are ultra conservative and yeah. putting in every number in all those categories, the result the the n in this equation for the entire Milky Way galaxy would be 20. 20 Tw- uh, 20 uh, odds are there are 20 different intelligent species out there that would be capable of communicating if you did the bare minimum of everything on the oh opposite side if you did the the maximum mm-hmm. of everything that number is fifty million <laughs> so fi- so fifty million so somewhere between twenty and fifty million <laughs>
1: I didn't hear zero in there. So, so so odds are, I mean, just according to the statistics themselves, yeah. odds are somebody's out there. We're not just talking about microbial life. That's, right. no. that's usually what we're looking for. Right. But you're saying.
0: No, this is intelligent life capable of creating a device that is capable of communicating interstellarly with other civilizations that are millions of light years away that the absolute bare minimum chances Mm -hmm. is that there are 20 civilizations somewhere in our galaxy that that at some point what was capable of doing it now, now maybe they have since gone extinct yeah you know, yeah. but but they were they were capable of that at, at some point. At some point, yeah. And,
1: and with an estimated two trillion galaxies across the entire universe, which spans ninety three billion light years, there's some good odds so, out there. So,
0: yeah. So when you look at the yeah. entire universe, oh yeah, I mean, yeah, crazy when you think about those numbers. That's wild. So Jason, let's dive
1: into one of the possible candidates for where we might find some sort of life, uh, and
0: I believe that might be one of Jupiter's moons, Europa. Absolutely. Let's talk about it. So Europa is one of Jupiter's moons, as you said. Uh, It is 1,900 miles in diameter, making it smaller than Earth's moon, but larger than Pluto scientists are almost certain that there is an ocean underneath the icy surface and anytime you have liquid water you of course have an increased chance of life even if it is in the form of microbes yeah which i think is probably what most people are kind of hoping for right i mean yeah. the odds are aliens are not just going to land down and say hey we, we finally <laughs> found you right? at least not in our solar system and, yeah so yeah. if you know when we're talking life it's probably going to be something floating in the water smiling somewhere, right? happy little bacteria That's right. somewhere or something so, what makes life on the surface of Europa unlikely is the fact that Europa receives 1,800 times the amount of radiation than Earth does. In fact, humans exposed to this level of radiation for one day would have a greater than 50% mortality rate at the end of the month. Really? So, if they were just exposed uh, on December 1st, mm-hmm. By December 31st, more than 50% chance they would pass away just from that one day of exposure. What's the chance they would turn into the Incredible Hulk? I would say at least like five. (laughs) You think at least a (laughs) five percent chance. You know,
1: hashtag worth it. I don't know. (laughs) You know, let's let's roll that dice. (laughs) So
0: you say I got a chance, right? Yeah, Yeah, that's how I feel. (laughs) That's great. Uh, Another possible place for life on Europa, uh, probably not on the surface, but is theoretically in a like this cavernous pocket underneath the ice, but above the ocean, almost like in a cave like system where there's there could be hundreds of feet, hundred Feet above you with there's this open space and but eventually the ice is up there and then there is a surface where potentially a hundred feet below you mm-hmm. is this roaring ocean so okay. you're just kind of like in this in this cave and humans could potentially live in such a place if the ice above them could form or, or could protect them from radiation. I was
1: going to say so the radiation's still there that's right. just might be a barrier
0: right and they might be able to get water from directly below them almost mm. like a well yeah uh, so. Maybe there's already life there. Okay, I mean, if if humans could do that, maybe there's something there. Uh, but it would be very difficult to to live uh, on Europa again, you know, on the surface because the average temperature is negative 274 degrees Fahrenheit, which is like more than twice the temperature in terms of like the coldest it's ever been on earth anywhere at any given moment and that's just the average temperature there okay so i don't think we're going to be like you know playing beach volleyball on your sure. on rope anytime soon so you, but, you can't get away with a fleece jacket i mean you're just no. you're out of luck right <laughs> no, you could for about 0. 0.4 seconds <laughs> okay and either either if if, uh, if you survive the cold then uh, i'm certain the radiation we I was say, it's pretty bad when like the the cold is
1: worth worse than the radiation being
0: 1800 times that first <laughs> <laughs> you no, know, yeah. you wouldn't think. I mean, you think, the, you think of these numbers and it's just crazy. But like I said, uh, scientists are, are pretty certain, honestly, that there is an ocean under that ice. They have, they've ran numerous tests, mm-hmm. uh, a lot to do with uh, uh, electromagnetic tests. Yeah. And they're just things that lead them to believe that the, uh, the results that they're seeing on these tests, that the only way they would see those is if there is a considerable amount of liquid water. Uh, underneath the uh, ice so if there is an ocean there then there's a chance for life and then if if there's even that sort of that protective layer kind of that big cave in between the top and the bottom then there could also be life there would you go i mean i mean okay if i said to you jason
1: creek moore you can go it's going to be fine the radiation's not going to get you (laughs) (laughs) you know you're going to be just fine and and i could guarantee safe passage home now i don't know as
0: far as how long it's going to take right Would you do something like that? Now, If I was only going to be gone, like maybe, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm trying to think. Let's let's say it's a 10-year round trip. Oh, that's a lot. Oh, yeah. 10 years? Yeah. I mean, the, the only thing that really factors in is just like family and friends. Right. I couldn't do 10 I, years. I couldn't do that. Yeah. N- not to my. Now, if, if all my fam- if we could all get on a big bus yeah. and have a 10 year party, as it's, it's, we're having a Europa party. Right. <laughs> yeah. And we could all go there with like, you know, 50 of my family members and friends. Yeah. Then absolutely I would, I, I would do that. I would do that. Yeah. If I could only be gone like maybe a couple months or something mm-hmm. and then come back, I, I mean, what a story because you could tell your children and absolutely. you go down in history. Right. Yeah, that's but, great. But if it took 10 years, I'm yeah, 10 sorry years a lot I just can't. Yeah, it, I, just,
1: I just couldn't be away from my loved ones that long. Now, if time would stand still and there was some kind of, you know, we've talked about the bending of space time and right. all this in the past. If somehow you weren't affected by that and nobody on Earth was affected by that and you could just go and it's fine, it would be quite an, you know, extreme trip right for sure oh yeah you go down in history it would definitely be worth worth thinking about yeah for sure so the next item to discuss is the seti initiative have you ever heard of seti i have i'm SETIing right now (laughs) you sure are (laughs) look at you go man
0: i'm a good SETI. -er.
1: (laughs) so the seti institute which stands for search for extraterrestrial intelligence institute began as a small nasa project with just two employees and i can just imagine these dudes yeah, <laughs> sitting. They were sitting around, <laughs> right, and and just searching for life in outer space. And you have to imagine what everyone else in NASA. Was thinking, you know, they're doing all these big <laughs> yeah. projects and uh, you know launching astronauts into space. These guys are just sitting around waiting for ET to phone it's home. It's
0: like, you know? like a, hey, hey, Paul, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. uh, we're listening to see if uh, there's some radio signals that perhaps would come through space, so we can see if there are UFOs. <laughs> so they're like, okay, Paul, you have a good day. Uh, sounds good. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> keep eating
1: those Reese's Pieces, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But over the years, more scientists have been added to the institute, which now includes 100 scientists with specialists in administration, education, and outreach. At its heart, SETI is an institute that seeks to identify and communicate with extraterrestrial intelligence. Jason, literally aliens. And I love this. I mean, this isn't some backwoods department. This isn't some frowned upon branch of NASA. This is a legitimate establishment that that originally started and and was funded by NASA as a project. It's now a, a non-profit. Officially. Because I, I think it had its funding pulled a few times over the years by Congress and different things. Probably. <laughs> they said, what are these guys doing? It seems like it would. <laughs> uh, but eventually they became a nonprofit, And they are literally on the search for life among the stars. That's and, just what they do. And that's awesome. Yeah. I, I admire that. I really do. Since the 1960s, astronomers have combed through billions of radio channels looking for anything out of the ordinary that might suggest there is intelligent life beyond Earth. So far...
0: Everything's been oddly quiet. We've mentioned the uh, wow signal at, yes. at some point in the yeah. past. Which was really, which was a really, really cool thing. And I'm actually going to talk about that just in a few moments. Okay, so we're yeah. going to
1: come back to that. Uh, a new program that's that's more recent named Breakthrough Listen, or BL, is currently searching for radio signals outside our solar system within about 160 light years from Earth. The BL has opened up their data to the public, which includes analysis of 1,327 nearby stars. The program uses two different radio telescopes to identify identify signals one telescope is actually located close by in west virginia one is in australia the data collected so far represents the most comprehensive and sensitive search for extraterrestrial life in human history it's it's just wow. wide open and right one's now. in west virginia one's sitting right next to us yeah hmm. borders the state of kentucky that's cool the program has collected almost one petabyte of information which is roughly the size of 2,000 years of music files. So if you want to listen to Slapdash, you know, on repeat, you, you can <laughs> hear it for, forever, for, for the next 2,000 years and that's the amount of data essentially, well actually it's, it's probably more than that now, um, that's been collected from these stars. One question that continues to come up is how long will it be? until we discover life outside of earth because we've we've heard of breakthroughs we we hear about this all the time in the news it's like we we have so many rovers yeah, that have been everywhere mars. i know we're going to talk about mars here next but it just seems like all the time it's like we found water we found the potential for oxygen you know i've seen some fuzzy footage that looks like uh, you know bigfoot might be creeping around right, out there yeah. sometimes there's like some shadowy figures you <laughs> know like, what you was these that pictures <laughs> so you know long story short i i feel like we're as you know history moves forward we're getting closer right somehow it,
0: it's always like every time it seems like every two to three years in the news there's always something new yeah. that we have like actually found or we have footage of that we did not know uh, to uh, previously have existed exactly it seems like it yeah it does so at the rate we are developing instruments and having breakthroughs
1: some scientists speculate that we will discover some form of life outside Earth by 2024 oh Jason this this is 2020 <laughs>
0: it's been a heck of a year too it's been a wild year
1: we, <laughs> could, we could use some uh, special discoveries and you know maybe December 30th <laughs> at the end of the year it's just gonna be like wow oh yeah this year was pretty terrible but guess what guess what we found <laughs> the
0: aliens are coming <laughs> the aliens are coming <laughs> just a few short years
1: yeah hopefully uh you know that's in 2021 because i can't imagine the you know how those aliens are going to treat us in 2020 (laughs) i feel like it's not going to be good news (laughs) 2024 that's that's crazy probably somewhere in our solar solar system is where most scientists suspect we'll find something maybe even on mars and we're going to come back to this idea in just a bit but first jason you want to take a quick break sounds great Hey, everyone. We're happy to announce that the
0: podcast now has a merchandise store. Shannon, everyone loves hoodies and everyone loves coffee.
1: Yeah, and you can pick up a nice Slapdash hoodie or a Slapdash mug and drink your next cup of Joe right out of a Slapdash cup. (laughs) We also have T-shirts and stickers. Yeah, we do. So come on by and log on to www.slapdashpod.com forward slash store. That's
0: www.slapdashpod.com forward slash store store welcome back today we are talking all about the search for life in outer space and anytime people talk about life in outer space, Mars is quick to be named. Uh, the recent book and movie, The Martian, and I think actually, Shannon, you're the first one to introduce me to that. I did. So the author's Andy Weir. Weir's Weir is how I said it, yeah. Yeah, so I actually read that book uh, probably, gosh, four years ago, maybe? Four mm-hmm. or five years ago? That sounds about right. And of course, Matt Damon was, was in the uh, the recent movie. And uh, great book, great movie. Uh, but the book and the movie have caused sort of this inclination uh, Increase uh, in basically just interest in Mars oh, yeah. and kind of what what could be there and in farming potatoes. What's on, what's possible yeah, on the yeah. planets? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I myself uh, grew approximately ten potatoes this summer. You sure did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I didn't have to work nearly as hard as he did for it. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So you know the big thing again, going back to life, we have to have water, right? Water is this reoccurring theme that you hear over and over. So currently there is no liquid water, at least that we have found on the planet on Mars. But there is some ice and there are tons of evidence that perhaps millions of years ago, maybe even billions of years ago, uh, there was liquid water. You know, there are what what looks like uh, were lakes, uh, rivers. Uh, potentially oceans. You maybe know, some beachfront properties. There's some, All kinds around. of stuff. Yeah, but <laughs> maybe some small creeks, yeah. <laughs> a few waterfalls. But no, there are tons of evidence that, that at one time that water was, was everywhere on Mars. Mm. In fact, uh, there was so much water, uh, some scientists believe that up to one-third of the entire surface was made up of water. And again, this could have been millions, if not billions uh, of years of years ago. So perhaps there was life on Mars at one time, either at the uh, microbial level or maybe a little more advanced. So Mm. again, we're talking about you know, hundreds of millions, if not billions, of years ago. So, you know, who's to say? I mean, a, a lot of folks think, well, no, that's just kind of crazy. And uh, and again, sometimes and honestly, some of this even gets into you know philosophical, even religious you know beliefs, sure. you know, possibly. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, if you just look at things as they are, and you just sort of look at numbers, you know, and you look at the evidence that's there. You know, who knows? You know, may, maybe there's life there now underground. Maybe there was life. Maybe there were animals. Maybe yeah. there was something else there. Because, again, we're talking maybe billions of years ago. Mm-hmm. But but one thing that scientists are for sure is that they're uh, 100% positive was liquid water on Mars at some time in in, in its history. That's incredible. And one thing that I remember, and I don't know the exact details,
1: but it just comes to mind, is that at one time there was a scientist who looked at Mars, and I don't know if it was just the primitive telescopes we were using or what it was, but you could see all of these channels on Mars, kind of like indentations and things that were dug out. And it was hypothesized at the time that those were – created by intelligent life forms because how else could they get there right i I think now it's boiled down to a lot of that as you said may have been created by waterways or something like that but at one time it was widely believed or at least by you know some groups that these channels that you saw were sort of Perhaps made by Martians,
0: right? Which is and which I mean, kinda cool. you know, and it's kind of interesting to think. And, and again, I know that the uh, it's it the the uh, time frames aren't equal uh, or comparable. But imagine like if someone were to come, like let's fast forward, say ten thousand years from now. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking millions of years, right? right? I mean, land doesn't change a lot in ten thousand years. So I'm mean, imagine if someone just came to North America ten thousand years from now, no one's here, nobody's here, and the uh, Mississippi River is dried up. Yeah, but but you could kind of clearly see. Something was there. I mean, just by, you know, how the lay of the land, how it how sure. it kind of veed in, mm-hmm. uh how it connected to potentially a larger body of water. You know, so kind of along the same lines. You I mean, we can see where a mud puddle had been, right? Like yeah. uh a day or two earlier. Well, it's sort of the same thing. It's just uh, on a much broader scale. Bigger scale. Yeah. You know, I always think about all of the um, rovers that we've sent yeah. to Mars. We, we've
1: sent several at this point. We have uh, at least one or two active yeah. there now. I always imagine what would happen if we were just, you know, enjoying our day one Sunday evening and <laughs> all of a sudden we just saw a rover come down and land right outside in the street. I mean, you know, from outside our planet, yeah. obviously. Oh my God. Because I always imagine like some Martian civilization sitting around and all of a sudden you just Seeing this <laughs> this object descending, you know, through the atmosphere and and coming in and just crash landing on the planet, and there it is. It just starts unfolding,
0: <laughs> and
1: then it starts beeping.
0: Everyone just sort of looks around like, "What?" It's like, "Man." Yeah. I've also on the flip side of that I've also wondered you know uh, some of these uh, SETI scientists are sitting around and, yeah. and you know taking just millions of pictures with the rovers and how funny it would be if they just see almost like the uh, Sasquatch picture he just walk into <laughs> the woods and you just see an alien just sort of like just you know kind of freeze frame just stares <laughs> just at like it looking at he it. kind of waves What's you know peace out or whatever yeah you know? that's great That'd be I love cool. that
1: that's cool So, Jason, one other consideration uh, whenever we're thinking about trying to find life in space is the concept of exoplanets, and we talked about we we referenced this at the beginning of the show. But an exoplanet is a planet outside of our solar system, and apparently, there's many of these. Like when I was growing up, I never really got the sense that there was anything beyond our solar system in in terms of planets. I thought stars, yes, Um, you know, other celestial bodies, asteroids, asteroids, comets, these sort of things, but I never really imagined like other planets always felt that was the stuff of science fiction right but they have been observed, and and people, you know, they've been documented to exist, these exoplanets. And the first possible evidence of an exoplanet was noted in 1917, but it wasn't actually recognized at first. They just noticed some phenomenon and thought, well, that's weird. Why is that happening? But it wasn't really documented as it was a planet. You know, right. they hadn't reached the point. And it was in 1992 when the first confirmation of a different planet outside our solar system was finally acknowledged. But why are exoplanets important? Many exoplanets orbit stars just like the Earth orbits the sun. And a lot of times, you know, if we're looking for life outside of our solar system, we first assume that all life has basic Building blocks, you know, such as those attributes identified in Earth-based life forms: the need for oxygen, the need for certain temperatures, peanut the, butter, peanut butter, you know, <laughs> things for, like that. For the radiation not to cause uh, gamma <laughs> mutations and all this sort of thing. Water, you know, water, water's got to be present at least in the life forms that we know about, right. the ones we can observe. If we can find an exoplanet that has a similar temperature, water consistency, oxygen level, etc., we might be able to discover life on that planet. That's why these exoplanets are so valuable because they're earth-like. Right. And I, that that is a key stepping stone to at least discovering life as we know it. I mean, there may be other things out there. The right. Lockness monster could be under right. Mars for but all we, we know or Europa, know, right? <laughs> we just don't know. But, you know, what we do know is that life here on Earth consists of basic building blocks, and if we can identify those same patterns within these other exoplanets, then perhaps we're we're on to something at that point but how are exoplanets discovered? How do we actually figure this out? Because again, when I look at the sky, I see some stars, right. <laughs> I see some mist, you know, I see <laughs> I see the darkness, maybe the moon, just kind of depending on, on how things are going. But how do we look at what we see through telescopes and other means and say, that's a planet, when, when in fact, some of these can be like millions, billions of light years away. At such great distance, life can only be detected Uh, if something occurs on the planet or or just outside the planet that can't be explained by classical physical and chemical processes so if we see something out of the ordinary and we're like okay that that doesn't look normal you know that's not something that we're aware can happen then that gives us an idea that maybe something's going on there that would indicate there's a uh, a planet present. For example, on Earth, oxygen in the atmosphere is produced through photosynthesis by living plants and many kinds of microorganisms. If we observed the Earth from afar, maybe if there were some Martians watching us and they saw this phenomenon of, wow, there's a lot of oxygen in Earth's atmosphere, You know, they would know there's life here because the high levels of oxygen could not be explained in any other way. You know, there are some physical processes that can produce oxygen, but at such high levels, it's likely occurring through some process of like photosynthesis or some other, you know, carbon-based life or, you know, life form creating things, uh, which is kind of interesting, or changing the chemistry of things. So there's a couple of different methods we use to detect these exoplanets. Number one is something called radio velocity, and it just means a planet causes its star— to wobble. So if we're observing a star through a telescope uh, and we do this every day, you know, at the same appointed time, and we're looking at this star and we're looking at this star and it appears to shift ever so slightly or the light around it appears to bend, then that tells us that there may be some gravitational force that's nearby, which could potentially be a planet or at least some other celestial body. Another thing we can use is something called gravitational microlensing. This is observing whether the light of a star is bent by a planet's gravitational pull. Again, sort of what we're referring to, the gravity of the planet is is pulling at the star itself. And Jason, has speculated that there are over 40 billion exoplanets in the milky way galaxy alone 40 billion other planets and i don't know how we get these estimates i mean it just blows my mind (laughs) sounds good to me but it sounds okay uh and 11 billion of these 40 billion orbit sun-like stars more than 22 percent of these sun-like stars have earth-sized planets in their habitable zone Hmm. and basically habitable zone just means the it's at an adequate distance that possibly water could exist that's right. that's what yeah. habitable zone means so in addition to these exoplanets that are orbiting stars there's also a lot of uh what's called rogue planets and i had no idea this was a thing these are planets that don't orbit a star and they've basically just either broken loose and been exiled from their solar <laughs> system you know, through some means <laughs> uh you know but they're just flying through space just sort of alone and by themselves these planets have been found to exist all over the universe and there are about twice as many rogue planets as there are stars in the universe So when we look up and we see any amount of stars you can double what we see here and estimate well at least that many more rogue planets are just floating around there somewhere
0: wow that's crazy it
1: is and that's not just stars in our solar system that's stars across the whole universe two times the amount of planets as stars craziness but there has been what's been called a best candidate for life so they've looked at all these exoplanets and they found one Out of all the ones they've observed, that would be the very best candidate for supporting life. It's an exoplanet named Kepler 186 F, which I think is just very appropriate. I like the name. It's the best candidate for life found yet. The planet is located in the habitable zone of its star, which again means it most likely contains water and it's only slightly larger than earth. It is approximately 490 light years away. That's about two thousand nine hundred forty trillion miles.
0: Okay. Okay.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't feel
0: right saying that. Probably going to have to change the oil two or three times <laughs> for driving there if, if you're going to make it. But yeah,
1: this this planet is Earth-like. I've seen some art- artistic renditions of it. It's it's funny, you know. They they always have the footnote. This is actually on NASA's website. Is it really? But it's like you know, this is what we think this thing might look like, and it it looks like Earth, all except it's got some funky looking continents.
0: Is there is, is there a Dollar General there?
1: <laughs> oh, I'm certain. There's at least a few dollar generals there <laughs> uh, maybe dollar generals within dollar generals so i don't know but yeah th- this planet's only i think 10 percent larger than earth but all other aspects it's it's proximity to its closest star the size of the star itself that it orbits all of those
0: things are very similar huh. I think that's also I've heard that referred to as the uh, the uh, Goldilocks Goldilocks yeah. z- zone where it's like it's just right, <laughs> it's right? Just the, right. The, the porridge is just right yeah. it's not too hot it's not too cold that's right. it kind of has all the just the right characteristics
1: just the right features to perhaps support life and, and maybe three little bears that's right. what <laughs> so Jason if we were to actually find some life how, how might we go about
0: that what would be some of the signs and signals that we might receive oh I don't know Shannon how about techno signatures? Uh, techno-signatures, That's huh? right. Yeah. Okay. Every time I say that, I want to hear like the music playing in the background. <laughs> I want to hear like, right.
1: waka, 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 <laughs> You know, just somebody spinning and scratching on a record yeah. or something. That's what that's what we need. Yeah. I hope there's some aliens out there jamming. That's <laughs> what I, I don't want to get like a fuzzy signal, you know, just like some kind of obscure radio wave. I want to hear just, you
0: know, David Bowie type stuff like, singing Life on Mars. I'd like to hear like <laughs> Earth, Wind <and> & Fire. <laughs> yeah. That's what I want to that's hear. Great. Yeah. yeah. So, so techno signatures, or uh, also they could be called techno markers, are measurable properties or effects that provide scientific evidence of past or present technology. One example of this would be strange or inconsistent radiation readings from a specific area in space. Uh, now, when I was doing some research on this, this was a, I had never heard of this. Yeah. So this was really, really cool. This was new to me, too. Yeah, I had never heard of this, this particular part. So something that might suggest that intelligent life uh, has utilized energy like in, in a different way. So one extremely hypothetical example of this might be something called a Dyson sphere. Okay, a Dyson sphere was was new to me. Okay, uh, so what a Dyson sphere is is basically it's the idea that a civilization could literally create these like absorption, absorption bands around a star, so they would like literally, <laughs> okay. I mean, that sounds crazy, that but sounds kind of spooky a little so, bit. Yeah, yeah. So like, just take a star, and then they they just encircle the star. Now they don't like totally enclose it but they circle it with over and over and over with these bands. Mm-hmm. And, so, and so basically by doing this, they can absorb more energy as opposed than just light coming to maybe one side of their planet mm-hmm. that they could somehow pipe, for lack of a better word, this energy through these bands. Now you're talking about <laughs> that's, an that's astronomical great... engineering feat yeah. of all time, right? Yeah. But if you were to see stars doing something weird in regard to giving off a lot of radiation small radiation a lot of radiation small radiation that would be very unusual yeah and so if that if if they were to pick up on something like that millions of light years away scientists think that that's one that's one thing that a intelligent life would do if it needs power yeah. for civilization is to basically kind of manipulate a star you know much more than than we can I mean right now pretty much we have solar uh, panels right solar that's, panels that's, that's yeah. pretty much it as far as it goes for as us. far as it go, yeah but for that no 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 you yeah. know they would move those panels way closer they just kind of float right next to space uh like millions of miles of them that's one of long. the scary
1: things I mean it's one thing to discuss. Discover civilization that's primitive and not really as far along as Earth. It's another to discover this advanced technological civilization that's in you know capsulating stars and right. basically plugging in as an energy source and so, you
0: know i've always thought okay so like what if what if i'm what if i'm a uh, an alien civilization and i send a radio signal right and yeah. it's going to take for just whatever reason let's say it's going to take like two thousand years mm-hmm. to travel through space before you get it right yeah so that signal is out it's being transmitted through literally through space But let's say about 1,000 years after I send that out that my civilization becomes so advanced that now... We can actually get to your planet before the message gets to the planet. <laughs> that's crazy. Man. You know what I mean? I do. So like yeah. you're literally bypassing you your message the, in, the radio in transmission. space. Yeah. yeah. So that that's crazy. And that kind of brings me to my next thing. So another example of a techno signature are radio waves. Scientists are continuously scanning the skies in order to pick up any you know, any of these unique radio waves. You talked about SETI mm-hmm. a few moments ago. Uh, so they found a big one. Uh, they, they found one on August fifteenth, nineteen 1977. Uh, actually, it was scientists working with SETI. Uh, this particular uh, telescope was called, I think, Big Ear? I think so, I think yeah. so, Big Ear, at Ohio State University. And this is referred to as the WOW signal. Is and it's it's called Wow because the scientists after they were you know we were reviewing the paperwork they literally wrote Wow in the margins of the paper they thought they found something yeah because and, and maybe they did may, maybe they did who knows you know a lot of the radio signals they're kind of just inconsistent they're all over the place right but there was a pattern a very specific pattern that developed in a 72 second window that came from this particular spot in space and they have never uh, heard anything. Even before or since mm-hmm. that has this kind of pattern to it yeah uh and it's just odd that that's the only time that that's ever happened i mean at least since 19 uh since 1977 uh and again yeah that's called the uh the wow signal and so part of the idea is that with, with these techno signatures is that an intelligent life would be able to communicate that's sort of the bottom line and that you know they're thinking what if that's something that's that's their first attempt to communicate with us sure was back in 1977 but you know maybe that message was sent a million years ago uh, yeah absolutely. you know who knows and maybe yeah. we just we can't understand what they're trying to tell us yet. maybe
1: they've become extinct since then you yeah know, on the other side of the coin you yeah. said you know perhaps they their technology advanced so fast they could outrun the signal or perhaps they regress so much that they no longer exist and can no longer send the signal which right. is, is kind of interesting yeah. too so jason we've been through all of these different places where we might be able to discover life we've talked about you know these techno signatures and uh, SETI and all these people who are looking for life so these are the concrete things Let's right. speculate for let's just it. a minute. <laughs> all right. So let, let's consider that tomorrow we wake up and all over the new stations we make contact. Okay. And, and we've not just found microbes. We've found intelligent life. We have found ET. We have found ET. We have found a okay. thing that is going to change the course of human history from here on out. You know, the future is going to be different. What What do things like diplomacy look like in that scenario? You know, who Who speaks on behalf of Earth in that situation you know if we have an open line of communication assuming that they are advanced enough to maybe overcome whatever deficiencies we have to communicate with them and we actually have some kind of dialogue how does that work from like a diplomatic standpoint like do we have representatives do we move to like a like a global
0: society in a true sense you know president of the world or yeah you know, what does that look like i don't i don't know i mean i would imagine every nation is going to try to like maybe do its own thing if if my best guess would be like if if we had no preparation for this if if they just landed yeah uh, i think after if if we figured out that there were that there was not a uh a threat involved Mm -hmm. uh if that's the case i think every nation kind of acts independently yeah but if we if we knew that there was no threat and it was just a peaceful communication i think it would take a few days for people just to you know lose their mind get it out of their system sure. right yeah. you know oh no there, there's, there's going to be riots there's going men. to be yeah everything yeah. it's going to be wild but my, but my best guess would be after the initial shock and if everyone knew that it was going to be peaceful probably like some kind of uh, an organization like the united nations yeah i would imagine we'll i mean speak on behalf that would be my and, best yeah. guess yeah I,
1: yeah i think so so on the flip side of that what if they're not peaceful what if the first thing we find out about this is they just blow up texas I mean that—that's yeah. how they say hello, and then they enter, you know, yeah. Earth, and then well, uh, where do we go in that? Well, scenario? then
0: I think, probably. I mean, honestly, probably all of the uh, nuclear capable yeah. nations just open fire. Probably. I, I mean, really, I, I just need to know how quickly
1: we can get Will Smith on you know a <laughs> not spaceship
0: not quick enough
1: <laughs> for independence day you know right. you just kind of take those things out but it's 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 interesting it's the certainly the stuff of science fiction you know yep. I, I think back uh to like mars attacks that's one of the movies right. that came out yeah. in the 90s and it was this scenario where the martians landed and then you had a few world leaders go out to meet them and i can't remember what set them off they did something that was culturally inappropriate to the aliens <laughs> it was like they gave them a flower or right. something and they're like Ack, right. Ack, and (laughs) Start like shooting their their lasers and blowing everybody up. Okay, Uh, you know that that was one thing, and then also think back to H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds. Oh yeah, just that whole different versions of
0: that. Yeah, sure. So Uh, I think my favorite space movie in regard to like search for life is is Contact. Yeah, has Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey. Told me about that one. I've not seen Contact actually. You know, I don't know when it came out. Probably late 90s, maybe, mm-hmm. I, would, I would imagine. It's based we, on, we the it on the Carl Sagan book. Right? Yeah. I've never really seen anything like that because it basically asks this. Now, they don't like land, but there's some information that we have been communicated with and then what do we do with that mm-hmm. and then how the movie uh, ends. Uh, it's just remarkable. I've never... It's so subtle, but it's so profound. I've, I would highly recommend for people that like movies like that to uh, to watch Contact. So, Jason, as we wrap things up, one last question, man.
1: I mean, do you think that we will in our lifetimes... I know we saw 2024 here, but who knows. But how do you feel, Jason Creekmore, in our lifetime, will we find life in space?
0: I think we have a real chance. Yeah, honestly. I mean, I, I don't think that that's like hundreds of years off. Uh, it might be another... I mean, it could be tomorrow, honestly, but I mean, I could see that maybe, and maybe everybody says this, but I could see that being like in the next 20 to 30 years where we find something Now, again, I don't know if it's going to be, uh, you know, a little alien walking upright. It may be, you know, like, (laughs) uh, uh, microbes or something, Mm -hmm. but, uh, I I really kind of think that that's, that's probably going to happen in my lifetime. If I live to my normal average, I guess, life expectancy, I I think it probably will happen in my lifetime. I think we're going
1: to find podcasters. Just kind of sitting out there, you know, space dash, <laughs> just, just too, kind of going on.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, where were you guys? <laughs> That's right. That's great. Oh, yeah. How did COVID work for you? <laughs> How bad's that? <laughs> it was
1: it, it was terrible. We barely made it, guys. Yeah. So, Jason, I think that brings us to the end. Thanks to all of our listeners. We encourage you to subscribe to the podcast, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the handle at Slap Dash Pod, and we will catch you in the next episode. Take care, everyone.